Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 3rd of July 2011, entitled, All for the Sake of Christ. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 39. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with us to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Jesus said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. Ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye should speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. The brother shall deliver up the brother to death, the father the child. The children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? One of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, he that findeth his life shall lose it. 
He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Father, we thank you again this evening that we have this time that you have blessed us with. Lord, health and strength and a place to meet, the freedom to be here. Lord, your word that's been preserved for us, and as we come together during this time again this evening, we pray, Lord, that you would take and speak into our hearts. Lord, that as we look into your word, Lord, that there would be that which would be found there that would find a resting place in our hearts that would do the work within us that only you can do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Of course, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we find that these are part of the instructions. You can read before that, and you can read some others that Jesus gave to the 12 as he was sending them forth to do his work. And of course, as he was sending them out to accomplish that work, we find that he doesn't exactly paint a rosy picture for them. Uh, matter of fact, he goes from one thing to another to another. I mean, when he gets down to it, it seems like everybody uh, just about out there from individuals to whole cities to, to governments, everybody's going to be against them. Uh, and yet, they're not to be afraid. Uh, they're to have absolutely no fear whatsoever. They're to trust him. They're to concentrate upon literally taking that which they have, have heard the truth. And he tells them to, to preach it from the rooftops, from the housetops. We find that they are to be bold for him. They're to proclaim those truths, but not to expect to be popular because of it. There's actually three verses in here that I want to draw your attention to. It was, I don't know, I guess the Lord, it was just something in my own personal devotion time this week that I was looking over and I got to thinking about these things and, and later the Lord just began to impress me to put a few thoughts together. But you find in verse 18, the word of God said, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings. Notice the next three words, for my sake, Jesus said, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. For my sake, for the sake of Christ, you are going to be brought before governors and kings. And it's not to be awarded, as we find very seriously there. Notice down in verse 22, he says, And ye shall be hated of all men, and notice the next words, for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. That's not our message for tonight. You look at it in the context with everything in. He's not saying that somehow you've got to figure out some way to keep hanging on to the end if you're going to be saved or you're not going to make it. But what he's pointing out there is if you belong to him, though you're going through all these phenomenal obstacles and battles, tremendous odds that are being stacked against his disciples that are being sent out here, that you don't have to be afraid because those that are truly in, as we talked about this morning, and we said we'll be talking about some more next Sunday morning, they will persevere to the end. They will have the Lord with them. They will be victorious because the battle is won. But he says, you're going to be hated. That's a pretty strong word. You're going to be hated of all men. Talking about not the brethren, but by the world at large. They're going to hate you for my name's sake, he said. And then notice down in verse 39 of this 
same passage. He says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. But he that loseth his life, and there's those three words again, for my sake shall find it. We find that as I begin to look, of course, we know in all of these verses, for my sake, for my name's sake, for my sake, Jesus is the one that is speaking here. So Jesus is the mine. So for my sake that he's speaking of here is for the sake of Jesus Christ himself. What does he mean? For my sake. What does it mean when we say for my sake or when you say for the sake of someone else? Well, the word literally means on account of or because of or for the, for the good of. They all, they all give us this same idea that some act, whatever it is that's being done specifically for the good of or on the account of someone else or for something else. It's being done for that purpose, for that good. In other words, there is a motivational force behind whatever it is that's taking place for the sake of something or for someone. The action is being performed for a specific reason for the sake of whoever that it might be. Well, in all of these cases here, something is happening but it's being done for the good of someone else, for the sake of Christ himself. In other words, he's saying to us as we look in these verses that all of these things are happening. These are some pretty bad things, but they're being happening on account of him and for his good. It's interesting. People can have motivations Matter of fact, we all need to be motivated in some areas of our lives, but motivations can vary greatly. Sometimes people are not very motivated. It's a weak motivation. It's not a very strong thing that's pushing them to that action. Sometimes they can be greatly motivated to do something. It really comes down to, in most instances, the someone or the something that it's being done for the sake of, for the good of, it really comes down to how much that thing or that person means to us. If we're doing it for the account of, for the good of someone else, if it's somebody that we really love, if it's somebody that we really care for, then we're going to be strongly motivated. Illustration. Most parents. Most parents, you know, they might be very calm people. They might be people that it would take a lot to ruffle their feathers, very patient, able to, to bear a whole lot of things. But, you know, I don't care how quiet, how patient, how genuinely caring that someone is. You start messing with their kids, and you're in trouble. You know, most of them will take a whole lot of things for themselves, and I'm the same way. I've always been that way. You know, I'm used to people saying bad things about me. <laughs> you know, the old saying, you know, people, they have roast pasture for a Sunday dinner usually, you know, because they <laughs> trying to, to, to carve him up for what he said on Sunday morning. <laughs> your, your skin has to become thick many times 
not just for a pastor, for anyone that's dealing with people in any way usually. But the truth is, is that if you start messing with my kids, I'm not going to usually keep my temper very long. Um, my righteous indignation is going to rise very quickly because I would be very, very strongly motivated to protect my children, my wife, those that are near to me and dear to me. Why? Because I love them greatly. And you better believe that's going to bring some great motivation to do something for their good, for their sake, rather than for my own. Well, Jesus is telling us something here. Now, we know that a lot of the things he's talking about, his disciples are going to face in the immediate as he is sending them out at this point to the Jewish people. He's sending them out to Jerusalem at this time. He's sending them out to the cities round about Israel and those Jewish people. He says they're not going to want to hear. They're going to hate you. The governments are going to be coming against you. All these things are going to go wrong. But I want you to stand up bold and proclaim these truths and not be afraid. And even when they drag you into the courts and they've got you there, don't worry. I'll give you the words to say. I'll be with you there when you're standing before them, when you're being accused for my sake, for the account of Christ, for the cause of Christ. You find that I've read some stories of incredible motivation before. I mean, you think of motivation a lot of times when it comes to sports and things, sometimes just the motivation to win will drive people to do phenomenal things physically. I remember reading about a young teenager. He wasn't a weightlifter. He wasn't known for his strength or being real muscular or anything like that. But I read a little article where that a young teenager actually lifted a 3,000-pound tractor, and he was able to lift it up with his bare hands and lift it up. Why? Because his friend was stuck underneath it. His friend. That wasn't something that he would normally have been able to have done of himself, but he had some strong motivation because somebody he cared greatly for was trapped, and there was such a motivational force that Beyond all reason, he was able to lift that 3,000-pound tractor for his friend to be able to get out from under it. Incredible, that motivation of love. I remember reading of a mother. And, of course, again, when it comes to parents and children, sometimes, sometimes you can have some very, very, very strong motivational forces there of love. I remember reading about a, a prairie fire where this mother and her small baby, and they were, they were trapped. And, of course, many times where there's forest fires or prairie fires or these kind of things, you can suddenly be completely surrounded. And she was completely surrounded by the fire, and she had her little baby, and she didn't know what to do. And the story goes that she literally, with her bare hands, dug a hole in the ground in this hard dirt enough to get that baby into it and then she laid herself over that hole. And when they found them, there was much, wasn't much left of the mother because she had been burned to almost nothing. But the baby was well and alive because that mother had a great motivational force that allowed her to dig something that she probably couldn't have done normally and to do everything within her power to protect it. You see, Jesus is sending his disciples out here 
But he's telling them that they're going to face some pretty bad things. But they're going to need to be motivated. But if they're motivated, these are the things he's saying, do it for my sake. These things are going to happen for my sake. They're going to seem bad and they're going to be hard, but you can get through them because I'll be with you. It is for the sake of Christ. It is for the sake of his name. Now, I'll be honest with you. I hear this term used quite a lot. But in our world today, it's usually used either in vanity or cursing. When I hear someone, you know, that, that either are really frustrated about something or they get so irritated about something and then those words come out of their mouth and they say, oh, for Christ's sake. They're just using it in vain. It has nothing to do with being for the sake of Christ. Just like so many other things that have real, genuine, sincere meanings, and yet they can come from the lips of men and women. I mean, absolutely nothing. Well, I want to ask you two questions. And I mean, this was interesting to me as I began to, I just literally began to look through the Word of God, and I began to look, well, you know, this is all pretty bad stuff. He's sending his disciples out, and we know that by the same token, then we compare Scripture with Scripture, that yes, this had its immediate a prophecy for them immediately as they were going out right now. But we know so that long-term, a lot of these things applied as well, the second coming of our Lord when he comes back to what it's going to be like in our times as well. I began to notice, wow, and as I began to just look through all, all through the scriptures, I tried to find every place in God's word that it literally spoke of being for the sake of Christ or his name. And it was interesting as I looked there. And the reality was is that, wow, if we really love Christ, if we're really, really in such a position to where that's what's motivating us, it's quite amazing what he's saying that we can go through and will go through for his sake. I've tried to break them down into four areas for you this evening, but before I give them to you, I want to ask you two questions. First of all, it's worthy of asking ourselves, what has Jesus Christ done for our sake? What has he done for our sake? Not for his own. Things that he didn't have to do for himself, but he's done them solely for us without considering what it was doing for him. What's he done for our good, for our benefit on account of us? simply because that he loves us that much. Well, I was reminded of Hebrews chapter 12. Of course, a beautiful passage of, of, of Scripture anyway. As we look at Hebrews chapter 12, notice, notice just the first four verses of that chapter, what he says. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was set before him, what joy? The joy of you, the joy of what he was doing for your sake, the joy of what he was doing for you so that you, could have life instead of death. 
For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, the Bible says, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. None of us, none of us can even begin to imagine. We haven't even begun to go through what the Lord Jesus Christ went through for our sake. Yes, he hated the shame. He endured what he went through, though, because of the joy that was set before him, because of what it would do for you. Turn back just a few pages in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5. We're reminded once again here. He says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, which is made up of you and I as, as born-again believers, and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, the writer to Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ endured the cross, despising the shame and all that was there because of the joy that was set before him. We find that I believe probably the same writer as he is writing Ephesians, well, we know it's the same writer as far as God is concerned, but the same pensman probably. We find that he's talking here about that same Christ who gave himself for his church, for you and I. Why? So that one day, as his bride, we could be presented spotless. No other way that could happen except what he did for our sake, that's the only way we could become his bride. That's the only way we could be presented spotless was if he went through what he went through for our sake. For God so loved the world. You know, we quote the verse so much, we teach it to the kids so much that sometimes we forget just how much it means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, those are just a few verses. Well, we could go from Bible from the cover to cover, and we could look at all these things that, that God has done for us and what Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary. We find that what Jesus did it Calvary had a motivating force behind it as well. He loved you that much. <laughs> he loved you that much. He was willing to endure it. He was willing to give himself for you because he loved you enough to go through what he went through. What has Christ done for your sake? And the second question is, what will you do for Christ's sake? You see, what he went through, all that he suffered, all that he faced, 
He did it for us. He did it for our sake. But what about us? Because he loved us that much that the motivational force was there to do what he did because of his great love. What will you do for Christ's sake? In other words, how strong is the motivational force in our life that will actually get us to do something? Not selfishly motivated by what it will do for us or what the outcome will be for me. But once again, to the topic of our thought tonight, all for the sake of Christ. How motivated are we to do it all for the sake of Christ? Because we love him that much, because he means that much to us, that we will do it for his sake. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost us. That mother did not count the cost when she laid herself over her baby in that hole to protect that child. So many times we get concerned about what it's going to do to me or for me. I'm saying this evening, what are we willing to do for the sake of Christ? Because we love him that much that we're not going to start counting the cost that we're not going to start trying to figure out what it's going to do or not do for us. There are many good motivational forces that can drive us for all kinds of reasons, but it's hard to beat love. It's hard to beat true compassion, truly caring. That force can, can, can drive us to do things solely for the sake of others in this life to do things solely because we love them, that it doesn't matter. It doesn't even come into the equation. What it's going to cost me or what it's going to do for me, the whole focus upon them because you care that much for them. The reality is, folks, that's good. God doesn't want you to love anybody else less, but maybe just to love him more. He never wants you to love anybody else less, but he wants the supreme love above all others. You can never love anybody as much as he loves them. He doesn't want you to love them less. We find that I want to give you these four things, which I, again, all for the sake of Christ. I, I, as, as I looked at all these passages in the Scripture, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, what is done for the sake of Christ? What should be done for the sake of Christ? And I was able to kind of divide them into four areas. I looked at all these passages, and I found it amazing that all for the sake of Christ. Notice what he said there in our text in verse 39, the last place that we read it. He said, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake, shall find it. Do you think he's talking physically or spiritually or both? Do you think that whether it's the physical or the spiritual, that you can really lay something down? You see, the truth thing is many times we're the one that's wanting to hang on to our life that we've got rather than dying to this old selfish flesh 
truly, truly, truly dying to self so that we might live in the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16, just a few pages over in your Bible. Matthew chapter 16, notice what he says beginning in verse 24 there. He says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Listen, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Sounds familiar. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He goes on to explain a bit more here. He says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. You see, if we could gain everything, he's asking us a very, very, a very deep question here. If you could gain the whole world, now that's pretty big. The real question comes down to it is if all the riches, all the wealth, everything that this world, would you rather have all of that or have Jesus? He says, what's it going to profit you in the end? Because what Jesus Christ has done for your sake, what are you willing to do for his sake? You see, my salvation, really, is all for his sake. There's a bigger cause. It's good that we can love each other. It's good that we can care. The people we love and people we care about, that they're not ready to face God one day and that if they left this world, we fear for their eternity. We should. Jesus had, had compassion upon them when he looked upon them, and we've talked about that a fair bit in recent weeks. But can I say to you this evening, there's even a greater cause than that. That's good. That's great if we've got that. But have we got the greatest cause of all? What would you think? If somebody that you cared about, somebody that you knew, seriously, what would you think if, for example, they took everything, everything that they had, everything this world had that they could get their hands on, and they paid that for one thing and one thing only? And yet, after they paid it, they gave up everything for that one thing. And yet, they still didn't have that one thing. You see, the truth is, for your sake, Jesus Christ paid everything. He paid it all. He paid the ultimate price. And yet, so many times, people, rather than returning that and accepting that, they're engrossed by what the world has and what the world can do for them. For his sake. Notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. 
and verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, Word of God says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even, listen to this, as God, for whose sake? For Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Wow. You see, there's a greater cause. It's great that we want them to be saved for our sake because we love them for their sake. But I'm saying there's a greater cause if we can begin to grasp what Jesus Christ, what he did for your sake, the price that he paid, what he endured when he became sin, when he took on sin, when he did all that he did at Calvary for you, for that reason, that's an even greater reason, that's a bigger reason for our salvation than all these other things that do matter. Notice what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 12. 1 John chapter 2 Verse 12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. For his sake, for the sake of Christ, and for the sake of Christ's name, your sins have been forgiven you. Wow. Wow, for the greatest cause, for his cause, all for the sake of Christ. My salvation is all for the sake of Christ because that's the greatest cause. My sins have been forgiven for his sake, for his name's sake. But not only my salvation, but notice what he said there in verse 18 of our reading. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. What are they doing here? Well, they're going out and they're serving the Lord. They're going out and they're being a witness. You see, all for the sake of Christ. Our salvation is for the sake of Christ. Our service is for the sake of Christ. Let me just give you a couple of passages. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 5. He says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed, 
always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Listen, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. You see, we, we are his witnesses. The fact is, is the only way that people are going to know life is it through us. He said, we're always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. It might be spiritual. It will at least be that in all of us. We must spiritually die to this self in order for him to live. But folks, the same truth applies physically. It may cost us our physical life, but may our witness May our testimony be clear in all of it, as many of those that have given themselves before us. Again, back in Matthew, turn back just a few pages to Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter again, another of the apostles that certainly knew what it was like to suffer. You know, it's interesting. We look back and Peter was the one that stood there and he says, Lord, Man, whatever they do to me, let them kill me. Let them take my life. I would never, ever, ever, ever betray you. Jesus had to look straight at him and said, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. Lord, no, maybe somebody else would do that, not me. Peter did. You know, Peter learned from his mistake, didn't he? In the end, Peter was willing. History tells us that he was crucified upside down because he didn't even feel deserving to be crucified right side up as Jesus was. We know that every one of those apostles except for John that died of old age, they died horrible deaths. They were willing, they were willing for the sake of Christ. They were willing just as he had sent them out in those early days, they were winning for his sake, for the greater cause, for his cause. Peter writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 2. Notice beginning in, let's pick up in verse 9. He says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Wrong one. That's not what I want. That's two Peter. First Peter. <laughs> I said first Peter. Chapter two. Here we go. Verse nine. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may be your good works, which they shall behold. Glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that which will doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love thy brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Well, this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, what glory is it? If when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. It's one thing to stand up and take it all because you're guilty of it. <laughs> but he's warning us here. Notice what he said there. Again, he's talking about our service for the Lord's sake. And he's talking about our service for the Lord's sake in our everyday life with those people that are around us every day, with those people just like he's already warned us there in Matthew. Man, they're going to hate you. They're not going to like what you're doing. They're going to be contrary to everything that you're trying to do for good. And he says, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, serve him. Let your testimony be true. Love them that despitefully Notice in 3 John, there's only one chapter. <laughs> Third John, verses 5 to 8, he says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of the charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. They're being commended because their service wasn't for their own good, but for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 2 and in verse 3, as the Lord here, through John is writing of the church at Ephesus, Notice what he says there in verse 3. He says, and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. They've worked, they've served, they've labored for my name's sake, for my good, for what it will do for the Lord Jesus Christ, not concerned about what it will do for themselves. This church was commended for that. I'm saying all for the sake of Christ our salvation, our service. And of course, we keep seeing something that is recurring all through this. And it's kind of interesting that when you begin to look all through the Bibles, how that it always seems to be tied together. What was it he said there in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 22, and ye shall be hated of all men 
for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. My salvation, my service, my sufferings. When it's all going to be down to just me, there, there needs to be a strong motivational force. How do we get through all that the world is going to dish out against us for Christ's sake? Because we love him that much that we can't possibly do anything else. We don't have time for much comments. Our time is running away. Let me just read you a couple of passages. Hope that it'll be an encouragement in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice what it says, picking up in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9. He says, For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. The apostle Paul knew that as a servant of Christ, these apostles, they were considered the scum of the earth. But for the sake of Christ, everything bad that they dished out to them, they tried to dish something good back at them, praise God. We find that back in Matthew chapter 5, notice what it says in verses, verses 10 to 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. What does he say? How do we respond to it? Get all upset and cry and maybe get even with them. He says rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your joy, great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We want to get all discouraged and beat down and we just, why are people treating us this way? He says, rejoice in the Lord. If you're doing it for his sake, if that's what's motivating you, if that's what it's all about, if that's what's bringing the ridicule, if that's what's bringing the sufferings your way, he says, rejoice in it, praise God. That doesn't come in the flesh. 
that takes a strong motivational force to begin to rejoice when people are doing everything they can to tear you down. But for the sake of Christ, when he is the motivating force, not me, not what they're doing to me, not what it feels like to me, but because we love him so much, it doesn't matter because it's worth it. We find that in Matthew chapter 19, and these, these passages, the only place that you'll find these, these words repeated that I haven't given you tonight is where that they're given to us more than once in the Gospels. Here in Matthew chapter 19, notice what he says in verse 27. He says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have there for? Lord, we've given up everything for you. What's it done for us? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. I mean, he goes through a strong list here, folks. What could be the greatest suffering in this life? The losing of the people that you care the most about, the people that you love the most, the people that have the greatest spot in your life. He says, if it's for my name's sake, if it's for my sake that you lose these things, he said, I'm going to give them back to you a hundredfold. We find that just a few pages over, in Matthew chapter 24, notice what he says. The Olivet Discourse, speaking about the last days, his second coming. Be nice, but we don't have time to read it all tonight. Pick up with me in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. 
And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. He said there's coming a day and he says there in verse 9, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. We find it so hard to take a stand for Christ, to be counted for Christ because we either don't have time, there's so many things in life that's, that's just far more important than what we do for him. We're afraid of what our work people might think about us or our neighbors, or our family. He says the day's coming when you want to be counted for him. Brother Steve, it'll cost you your life. There's nothing else. It'll cost you your life if you want to stand up and be considered one of Christ. How are we going to do better today? How are we going to stand against those days? Because I believe we're in those last days, folks. I don't think we're going to become more popular as Christians but we need to stand bolder than ever. We need to proclaim the truth louder than ever. Jesus has warned us. They're gonna hate us. The legal system's gonna hate us. The people are gonna hate us. Nobody's gonna wanna hear the message that we've got. Why do we expect it to be any different? How are we gonna be able to do what he wants us to do, to take a stand? How are we gonna be able to rejoice and be happy in the midst of all that? for the sake of Christ, for his sake, because when our love for him is so grand, none of these things matter in comparison. You see, all for the sake of Christ, my salvation, my service, my sufferings, and I give you this in closing, my stamina, my stickability, my sticking power, my staying power. What's going to keep us going? I'm saying if we're going to keep going and if we're going to count and if we're going to make a difference, it's going to have to be for the sake of Christ. He's going to have to be that supreme that above all else, that's what matters most is what we do for him. I give you these verses in closing this evening. First of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice what he says in verse 9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. This is the Apostle Paul after he's been trying to get rid of his thorn in the flesh and it just hasn't happened. This was the answer that God gave him back why he had to keep that. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, he said, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. 
You see, the truth is this. I don't have time to go there this evening. But it's a sad thing as we look back through history. Do you know when Christians have been the strongest, when Christians have made the biggest difference, it's when they're under the greatest persecution, when they're counted for, when it's going to cost them something, give us all the freedom in the world, give us all the technology and all that we need to be able to reach the ends of the world. We sit back and do nothing or very little in comparison. We find that when it's for the sake of Christ, for his sake. Notice what Paul said to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Notice picking up in verse 21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's quite a statement if you stop and think about it. He says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. He's caught here. He says, for I'm a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Wow. It's given unto us. We all like that part about believing, but boy, suffering for his sake. That's part of what's given to us. I'm going to close in Romans. I'm going to read a few verses from Romans chapter 8. My stamina, my staying power, my stickability. What's going to help us in all of this? I'm saying for the sake of Christ. He says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, notice the next three words, For thy sake... For your sake, Lord, for your sake, Christ, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in chapter 15 of this same book, Romans chapter 15 and verse 30, folks, I saved this verse for last for a reason. Our stamina, our staying powers for his sake. But he says, now, Paul writing to the Romans, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. I'm begging with you, church. I'm begging with you for the sake of Christ. What? And for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. You see, the one thing is that when truly, 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 it's all for the sake of Christ and not all, it's because we love him that much. He has that place in our lives and it's all for him. Said here, one thing we can do is pray for each other. Pray for me. He's saying, I'm begging you for Christ's sake. Why is he saying, for Christ's sake, pray for me? Because he knows that all of this is for the sake of Christ. It's only when each of us can truly stand up and be the Christian we ought to be that others are going to be saved, that that service is going to be worthwhile, that we're going to be able to stand through the suffering that's going to come our way if we stand up and be counted He's saying, please, for Christ's sake, pray for me. That's one thing we can do for each other. That's one thing that the body is all about. Really, out reality is, though, is, again, we answered the question, what has Christ done for our sake? And again, I would just come back to that question because nobody else can really answer it. What would you do for Christ's sake? How much do you love him? What in life? Is there a certain amount of pain or cost? What is it in life that breaks that threshold because you don't love him quite enough to get past that? See, the reality is, boy, if that love is supreme, if we really do love him, more than anything this world has, more than everything this world can offer us, we will have the stamina because we're going to do the things we need to do for his sake, for his account, for his good. doesn't matter what it costs us because we love him that much. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, I thank you that during the week that Lord, you certainly challenged me, Lord, in these passages as I began to think of, Lord, what's done for your sake and what's done for our sake. Lord, I notice as we look through this, it seems that most of the time when you're talking about things being done for your sake, that it seems to involve suffering somewhere along the way. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a people 
that be willing to pay the cost. Oh, I pray you this evening that our love for you could be such that, Lord, in the midst of the greatest persecutions, we can still be a, a joyful people, that we can rejoice in these things because it's all for your sake. And that's what really matters. And what's really important to us is that we're serving you, that we're living our lives for you, that our lives are accomplishing what you want to accomplish through them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, that our service, Lord, would be that which you would desire of us. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us in the midst of the sufferings to be able to rejoice if that suffering is because of you and the life that we're living for you, then help us not to shy away from it. Lord, give us the stamina, the strength, the staying power that we need to stand up and be counted as Christians on your behalf for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.